Thank you. Thank you. Two very important words that can shape the way we live our lives and also give us a picture into the way we've already chosen to live it. How many people do you need to say thank you to? How about this? Does anybody need to say thank you to you or do people say thank you to you often? Do you and I give them a reason to? As I thought about these questions and reflected on chapter nine of my book, Thoughts of a Dying Worship Leader, I started realizing something interesting. I, the disciples never really said thank you to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they did. We don't have every recorded conversation. But there's not too many times in, in the New Testament where I see a moment where the disciples kind of realizing what's happened say thank you. And you know what? How, how could they? They really didn't have a chance. I don't think it would be possible for them to really see all that was happening. But isn't that the truth, though? When something really impactful is happening, something that is literally shaping us, do we even really know it in the moment? Or is it something we kind of look back on and go, wow, that was a season in my life. That was, that was a moment. That was a trip. That was a person. Chapter 9 was about being thankful. And not just that but thanking those who invested in my life, investing in people's lives. That's what Jesus did. I would say out of all the things he did, he spent the most time, the most of his time, investing in people. Think about it. Now look at your life. Who has invested in you? Who do you spend your life investing in? Who are you thankful for? And who is thankful for you? those questions and more on today's episode of the Thoughts of a Dying Worship Leader podcast. someone in your life that for one reason or another decided to invest in you in some way? Like it didn't have to be big. Maybe they just took time to talk. They taught you something. They showed you kindness. I hope and pray that you have. Maybe it was a teacher, a friend, someone older who just took an interest in you. It's these types of people who make all the difference in our lives. Now, can we just talk, before we get into that, let's, can we just talk about Jesus for a second? Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God, not telling you anything you don't know. He was present at the beginning, and He is present even now. He was fully God and fully man, okay? This is the star breather. This is God Himself in the flesh, Jesus. Now, if you and I were to plan how He would be spending His time on earth, like for some reason, God the Father calls up you and he's like, hey, I want you to give me the best plan for Jesus. Tell me when, tell me how, tell me where, all that stuff. What do you think that plan would have looked like? Like what time period would you have put him in? What goals would you make sure he had? I can only answer that question for myself, which I know all of you listening think, thank God that that's not the case, but I'll answer it anyway. If it were me, selfishly, I would probably put him in this time period for all the reasons I think, you know, probably that you think. There's more people, 
more means of communication. Jesus, as far as we know, like never wrote letters or sent an email. There's more means of travel. Jesus never went further than he could walk. So for reasons like that, I would put him in a more modern era. And yet, Jesus comes in the first century. Jesus comes when technology is extremely limited. Jesus comes to a place in which the people, his people, are living under captivity. And Jesus is born to peasants. His economical status immediately prevents him from doing anything of, quote-unquote, special significance, right? Or at least that's maybe what it seemed. His early circumstances don't look like the best time or place to do what the Savior of the world needed to do. Now, you may disagree with me, but I mean, surely it had to come with massive challenges by choosing that place in Israel at that time of history. And yet, Jesus comes. Maybe it's because it was the perfect time for him to do what he needed to do. So what was it that Jesus needed to do? Okay, well, the obvious, and I would say the most important thing, let's get this on the table, is we know that his mission was to, to eliminate, to defeat the powers of Satan and sin in our life. And so the work of salvation had to be done. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. But okay, cool. That was a three-day event. So was Jesus basically here the entire time just to get to this three-day event? I mean, maybe, but I, I think there's more. I think a deeper answer lies in what Jesus did while he was here, and especially once he started his ministry. What does Jesus spend most of his time doing? Most. <laughs> you want to know what it is? He spends most of his time hanging out with 12 dudes. Yep. Yes, the miracles. Yes, the teachings. Yes, the healings. Absolutely. But through it all, what Jesus spends most of his time doing is living with his disciples. It's, it's wild eats with them, laughs with them, journeys with them, makes time for them. Ooh, yeah. What, what do you mean makes time for them? Like, how do you know that, Jordan? Well, you know that. Just think about it for a second. Step back, stop knowing everything about everything, and realize that the God of the universe, taking even one second to have any type of conversation with a human is an, an incredibly big choice, right? Like, for, for him to come and be in conversation with disciples, with just the simplest of people, was a choice. And he made time for us. For me, taking time to be with people can be difficult. I mean, that's a choice you have to make. The idea that the Lord of all things did this with 12 normal guys, it's astounding, at least to me. How often, come on, think about this. How often did the disciples think back on it, right? 
after Jesus is gone. How often after Jesus left, he ascends into heaven, and now they're, they're there without him. How often do they just sit around and share stories about him? Remember when the storm came? Remember the leper? Remember when we slipped out of that town and they wanted to kill Jesus? How did we do that? I don't know. I mean, surely. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We humans, we struggle to see the present and always long to have moments back. And Jesus spent the majority of his time investing in his disciples. Incredible. Let me read from Matthew chapter 13. It's a cool little story. It's actually at the end of a story, really, the end of, a, uh, of, a, of an account with Christ. And he's been doing all these teachings. And let me just pick it up in verse 34 in chapter 13 of Matthew. It says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Key verse here. 36. Then he, meaning Jesus, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Verse 37. I'm just going to read the first two words. He answered. Love this passage. Love it. Because it's a picture into what discipleship looks like and what it looks like to invest in others. Did you see it? When you're making a choice to be about people, you give them a portion of yourself that other people don't get. So Jesus is out there. He's teaching. He's uh, he's talking to everybody in parables. You know, the disciples are probably out there like nodding, pretending like they get it, even though they totally don't. You know for fact you've done that. I know for fact somebody listening is, has been in a situation where you're like, oh yeah, totally. And you're inside, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what they're talking about. I know you've done it. Stop saying you haven't. So the disciples are out there, they're listening and they're not getting it. The people aren't getting it, and the disciples aren't getting it. And so what do they do? They go into the house. It says, he left the crowds, which means the crowds didn't get to come, but they did get to come. And I think discipleship and investing in others, a picture of it is when people get a portion of you that other people don't get, and you make time for it. You give them more time than others because you're there for them. Because said, they said, they said uh, the disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds. And he goes on, and he does. For the gospel to continue, it needs to be more than just planted, right? That's even in this parable. It's, it's more than just planting a seed. It needs to be watered, nurtured, and groomed. And that's a little bit of what, what that looks like. And this is a picture into my life for which I am eternally thankful men and women who have invested their time, money, words, food, home, and just so many other things, leadership into my life. That's why I'm here. I wouldn't be here without that. I would not be here without that. Remember, the disciples weren't the only people who saw the miracles. This is really, this is really important. 
tons of people saw what Jesus did. Tons of people. The disciples were not the only people who saw Jesus feed 5,000, obviously there. They weren't the only people who saw him heal a blind man. They weren't. Tons of people did. But it wasn't the miraculous that changed them. It was the relationship with Jesus that changed them. That made the deep impact. The same is true today. The greatest thing we can do with our lives is to live it for others, is to invite people in. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a lot of you. (laughs) But it makes an impact that's great. Now listen, just because I'm on the mic and I get to record this does not mean that I have this down. But for sure, this is in my DNA because of the investment that people made. For me, it was um, Kyle Marcia Bethke. They were my youth pastors. Just that pivotal moment. And they spent so much of their time with me. And now that I'm looking back, I bet you they didn't like it that often. <laughs> you know, when you're that young, like when people are investing in you, like, man, they just really like me. I'm not so sure. I probably was a pain. But it didn't matter to them. They had made this choice. It, they, they made the choice because of who God was calling them to be. It didn't, it didn't have anything to do with me. I was the benefactor. But the same is true today. The greatest thing that we can do with our life is, is follow Christ. And what does Christ do? And he spends time with people. The title of this chapter in, in my book, I, I, I called it Continuing the Song. I wrote that to illustrate that the things of God, you know, I, I think they're like a melody. I think following the Lord is like listening to a song and enjoying it and learning it. So if you can go there in your imagination for a second, just, just, just go with me for a moment. Jesus' life and ministry is like a song. It's a beautiful song, incredibly unique and life-changing. When people encountered this song, they were moved from the inside out. I mean, they were wrecked. There were moments, there were moments in his life where the part of the song people heard made it seem like they could never learn it, never be a part, and some stopped listening. But for those who stayed, those who heard a little more and even began to learn it themselves, something began to change. A lot of people just heard the song and were satisfied, but the disciples learned the song at the feet of the maestro. And they were changed from the inside out. And because of that, they taught the song. And now you and I have learned it. It's incredible. And not completely, right? We we don't have this song on lock. If you were to open up the New Testament, nobody's going to make the mistake that that, that, the Gospels were actually written about you. No one's ever asked me, I was reading the book of John, Man, this sounds exactly like your life, Jordan. Nope. Wow, that would be awesome. Well, I guess it would be awesome if they were referring to Jesus when they said that. But right, we're, we're on journey. We're not completely there, but we're getting better. We're learning a little more of the song of Christ. And I'm so thankful to the men and women who have taken time to teach me the things of Jesus, to teach me that song of integrity and honesty and love and leadership so many other things. I was never going to make it unless men and women of God took time for me. 
I am so thankful. Look at your life. Who has invested in you? Have you thanked them lately? This is just my opinion, but I think one of the first things that the disciples basically said to Jesus when they saw him in heaven, when they, and after their last breath, and they go into that wild existence of eternity and they see Christ. I think that some of the first things they're going to say includes, thank you. Thank you. So today, wherever you are, I want you to thank someone. I want you to text them. I want you to call them. I want you to thank them for making the investment in your life. Don't overthink it. You may have had a fourth grade teacher. I write about a teacher I had. His name was Mr. Machola, Ron Machola. And he probably doesn't remember me. And if he does remember me, it's because I was such a troublemaker in his class. So I hope he's forgotten about me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But in the, in the, in the book, I, I talk about how he, one time he sent me out of class because I guess I was doing something disruptive, debatable. And he had every right to kind of, you know, I don't know, do whatever you do when you're in junior high. You get detention or something like that. But he came out after a while, and he said, Jordan basically said, you know, you have a voice. You, you have a lot of potential. Don't waste it in moments like this. Um, use it for a purpose. And then we went back inside. <laughs> like, I was in seventh grade, friends. Like, I never forgot that. That's the type of person I'm talking about. It doesn't have to be a whole lifelong thing, but who can you thank today who's made an investment in you, who's taught you a little bit of the song, and you wouldn't be singing that part if it weren't for them? Thank them today. Second question I, I want you to consider today is, who do you spend your life investing in? It's a big deal. I'm recording this on June 4th, 2020. These are going to be days that are looked back on. Racial tension uh, at the highest in my lifetime. COVID-19. Fear. Just fear. People living in it, acting from it. Now is the time to follow the Jesus path. And Jesus spent his time with people. Helping, speaking into their life being patient with them. Oh my goodness. He's so patient with them. So patient with them. Who do you spend your life investing in? Who are you discipling? Who are you about besides the person you see in the mirror? Because the king of the universe came to earth to spend time with people. That's crazy. I want to read, um, as we kind of close this time up, a prayer from Jesus over his disciples. In John 17, he, he prays for them. And I printed it out of the message version, or I'm going to read out of the message version because, I don't know, I just think it's, it's really great to hear from um, this, this perspective. And I'm also a huge Eugene Peterson fan, and so I always love reading this. But it's kind of long. But as I read it, I want you to think about it. This came from the mouth of Christ about people. Okay, so this is the heart of God of the universe for his disciples. And I would say for you. I want two things to come from this time as you listen to it. One, remember that this is 
this is how important you are to the Lord. And this is how important his disciples were to him. And two, I want you to think of some people that you want to begin to pray for like Jesus prayed for in this passage. John 17, here we go. This is Jesus speaking. I, I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me. And they have now done what you said. They now know, or they know now, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them. For I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Listen, it says this, Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me so they could be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them. In the pursuit of the life you gave through me, I even posted a night watch and not one of them got away except for the rebel bent on destruction. The exception that proved the rule of scripture. Now, I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Oh man, that's good. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes. So they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. Wow. That's powerful stuff. May we be people who have that prayed over us. And may we be people who pray that kind of prayer over others. If you haven't read chapter 9 of Thoughts of a Dying Worship Leader, I highly recommend it. Because I think there's a new generation of people being born right now. Future ministers, future worship leaders, future business owners, future lawyers, future teachers, future um, so many things. And they're looking for someone to notice, to take time out of your life to speak into theirs. And the the words you share and the time you spend, it's going to shift who they are. And as you follow Christ and you help them follow Christ, you continue to teach the song. And the song of Christ is supposed to change the world. And when everybody hears it, he's coming back. So good. I'm thankful that you're listening. Thanks so much. I believe we only have about four more episodes and, uh, I'm looking forward to doing them. If you haven't been over to jordanbn.com, please go and subscribe. I post a bunch of stuff on there. I got all kinds of people signed up for a book club in June. So excited. Uh, you can contact me if you got a question, got a prayer request. Let's have at it. Uh, head over to jordanbn.com. As we lead and grow together, let's stand shoulder to shoulder on the front lines together. God's up to something. Let's not miss it. I'll see you there.